Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> we have some announcements. Wednesday, big gnomas. Thursday, this Thursday is women's Bible study. <laughs> A little more through the book you guys are on, but won't finish. And then this Saturday is the men's Bible study. This Saturday, Starbucks, 9 a.m. Going through the book Radical Prayer. Pretty excited about that. And then next Thursday, do use night here at the house. Play some snow volleyball. What do you mean, do snowball? Oh, yeah. Snow volleyball. With the snowball. That'd be fine. And then last, <coughs> we have email updates. Sign up, send me your email, we'll send you an email once a week so you know what's going on. Or you can check out the website, thechurchne.org. It's got a calendar on there that stays up to date. So, with that, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together to learn more about you, who you are, how we can worship you, um, how we can serve you, how we can be led and guided by you. I ask that you would speak to each one of us right where we're at. You know our, our thoughts, you know our desires, you know what each one of us is going through. That you would lead us and guide us through this study. Everything we have is because of you, Lord. I just ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. It's in Jesus' mighty, mighty name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So we are going to be in Romans chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 23. And I want to think, God willing, we will finish chapter 15 today. Right? God willing, God's words be spoken today. So Romans chapter 15, starting here in verse 23. Everything today is going to be in the New Living Translation. But now I have finished my work in these regions. So remember Paul was traveling to these regions where no one had heard the gospel message yet. That's where the Holy Spirit had sent him. That Paul made plan and God guided his footsteps. There were certain areas that God didn't allow him to go into. But now he's finished his work in these other regions. And after all these long years of waiting, I am eager to visit you. And he's talking to the church in Rome. I am planning to go to Spain. And when I do, I will stop off in Rome. And after I have enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. But before I come, I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Acacia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them since the Gentiles received the spiritual blessings of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem. They feel the least they can do is return, in return is to help them financially. So, as soon as I have delivered this money and completed this good deed of theirs, I will come to see you on my way to Spain. So Paul had a longing to go see the believers in Rome, right? He's writing to them. He wanted to go see them, but he was being led by God. Paul was making plans, but God was guiding his footsteps. We went over this last week. 
Um, and Paul's plans are not financially motivated, right? We read that in James, when our plans are financially motivated, we're going to go do this because we're going to make a lot of money or we're going to make money at this or it's all about the money, then we're not being guided correctly. We're going to go more into that today as well. But Paul's was being guided by God. His motivation was to serve God. So he talks about this, this gift to these churches in Jerusalem or to this church in Jerusalem from these other churches. And I want to take a look a little bit more at that because there's a couple other places that he talks about that. But we're only going to, a few places he talks about it, we're only going to go to a couple of them. The first one we're going to go to is 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And this is all in context to one church giving to another, right? So we're going to get into that as well and what that means. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting in verse 1. We'll get a little behind in the slides. You're supposed to let me know when that happens. Are you paying attention? Yeah. Are you taking notes? No. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Now, in regards to your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation to the messengers You choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me. So here Paul's explaining to the church, not the individual people, but the church, that if the church of Corinth has expressed that they would like to support the church in Jerusalem. They've told Paul this. So Paul's explaining to them, because they're asking him about it, and he's replying to their question, saying, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told the other churches. Every week, at the beginning of the week, the first day of the week, set aside some money special for the church in Jerusalem. So that way you don't try and collect it all at once, but you do it proportionally as your first fruits come in. And we'll get into that. What are those? What does that look like or what does that mean? But set aside some money for this, this church You've said you wanted to support, right? And then we need to select some people, some trustworthy people who can deliver this money. And if it's appropriate, Paul would go with them, right? So the church is supporting another church. So we have that example that God makes very clear to us. And then we read about lots of other churches. We read about Macedonia, Galatia, all these other churches that are supporting this church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem had lots of poor people. So the way I relate this to us is a couple ways. But one is that here in Colorado, we have lots of churches in, in this area, right? And there's some churches that are probably maybe downtown Denver or some places where there's more people, more poor people. And should we be helping to support those churches? I would say absolutely. That's what we see here. I also think of it as if you live in the United States, the stats are something like you're among the top 5% of wealthiest people in the world. The United States is a very wealthy country. Should we be supporting churches outside of the United States? And I would say absolutely. And is that a message for the church? And I would say yes. That's what Paul's speaking of here. So far he's talking about churches supporting other churches. So what does that mean for us? We've gone over accountability when we first got started back last March. We went over biblical accountability. We want to make sure that we're teaching correctly the whole word of God, that that's important. We went over accountability of 
men discipling men, women discipling women. It's never appropriate for men and women to disciple each other unless they're married. Unless I needed to explain something to your mom, then I could do that. So there's that accountability. And then the last one is this financial accountability. So that they were to choose messengers to deliver this money. They were to choose people who um, would be financially accountable, who were of good reputation, who were walking with God, right? Because there's a danger that you could steal the money, right? You could be tempted to steal the money. So that was important. So what does that mean for us as our little church? That when we got started, the church in Castle Rock offered to help us with our tithes. So we have a, a little box, collection box that we don't really talk about because the way we believe is that, and we'll get into this because Paul's going to explain this to us also when we read further in Corinthians. We believe that we shouldn't be pressured to give, that if God has guided us somewhere, that he'll provide, right? So we don't have this pressure to give or um, that we need to talk about it a lot. We just talk about it when it comes up in Scripture. So we have a box, and in that box, a little combination, and the only one that knows that combination is the accountant for Calvary Castle Rock. So we take our little box to them, they count the tithe, they collect it for us, um, and then they handle all of that so that we don't have to. So that way our hands are free of it, right? And the idea was that when we started, we would save up a little money to have a benevolence fund. If there was someone in need, that we'd be able to support them in the church. And we've done that. And now we're to the point where we get to support other missions and other churches so we have three three missions or churches that we are going to support this year the first is save the storks the stork bus they're the the ones that build the buses that have the ultrasounds machines on there they park them in church parking lots or in walmart parking lots or outside of abortion clinics and it's said that four out of five women that board a stork bus and have an ultrasound done choose to have life instead of an abortion. And that when the, the woman and the male counterpart board the bus, that 100% of the time they choose to have life and not an abortion. So that's a, a big deal. So we support them financially. We support the church that does the, the feeding the homeless. We support their food bank. And then lastly, we're looking for a church in somewhere Uganda, South Sudan, that we can come along and support. So that's what we've been praying for. So, and all of that is in context of what we're reading here. Churches supporting other churches, both locally, here in our own region, and then larger. Because, like I said, if you're in the United States, you are among, like, the top 5% of wealthiest people out there. So, just being here. And you should use that to be generous. And Paul is going to explain that a little bit more to us as we get into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So, 1 Corinthians, he explains to them about, they've expressed that they want to set aside some money for this church in Jerusalem, and then he writes a second letter to him, 2 Corinthians is the second letter, and he goes into it in a little bit more detail, because while they've expressed that they want to, um, there's no pressure for them to, there's no requirement for them to, but they've expressed that they want to, but it sounds like between the first and second letter, they still haven't. So he's writing to them again, you're saying you want to, but you haven't, let me explain this in a little more detail. And it's, well... That's where we're going to go. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And he's going to start off talking about their church supporting another church. 
which is what we've been talking about. But then it's also going to have a second meaning of what does that look like for us to give. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 1. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many in, Ma- many in the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as you have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found you weren't ready after all. I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. So they've expressed that they want to support this church They were very excited and enthusiastic about it, but they just haven't got to it, right? They haven't made it a priority. It sounded good to them. They were um, wanting to get on board with this, and they haven't done it yet. So Paul's encouraging them. You've you've said this. You've committed to this. I want to encourage you to follow through with your commitments. But what's very important here, I want it to be a willing gift, not given grudgingly. And that's very important. That's how we are to give. One as a church, but also as individuals. We are to give willingly, not grudgingly. And you'll see lots of churches that will say, well, we need to give a tithe, and that's 10%. 10% of your earnings you should give. And while I, I see that, I see that that happened with Abraham, and that that happened again with Jacob, I can see that. But then I also read in the New Testament where the widow gave her two mites. She gave 100%, all that she owned, right? So if I'm going to make, if I'm going to do what we do, we teach through Genesis to Revelation, I'm going to look at that and say, well, it's somewhere between 10% and 100%. Those are the two standards that we have. And really it's whatever God puts on your heart. This is an opportunity for God to grow our faith. One, as a church. Also, two, as individuals. When we choose to give to God, he's growing our faith, right? That There's always that thought in the back of my mind, I really can't afford to give, right? But the, the truth is I can't afford not to give. Because this is an opportunity for God to grow my faith. And we're going to go through that here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So we'll continue on here in verse 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Right? That's a very important one. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. So if I was about to turn 14 and I was thinking about getting a job at McDonald's, I would have to decide in my heart, how much should I give to God? And where does it all start? Well, it all starts with him. Everything I have is his. So none of it's mine, including the the money that I make or the finances that I have or the things that I have, a home or a vehicle, None of that is mine. It's all his. Number one, that's where it starts. And I must decide in my heart how much of that I choose to give back to him. Right? And that's for each of us to decide individually. And we're to do it not grudgingly, but willingly. Okay? So we'll continue on. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So this is one thing that always 
I have a very hard time with. When you go to a, a church and they pass around a plate and they give a, a collection offering and then they'll do a second one and they give this, put this pressure on people to give. Well, I always want to take them right here and say, you really need to read the scriptures. The trouble is with your church, you don't understand the scriptures. You should not be pressuring people into give. Remember, God is not broke. Don't let anyone tell you he is. And if you're in a church that passes a collection offering or puts a big emphasis on giving or puts some pressure on giving or tells you that God's church needs this, they are lying to you and you should probably run away, right? God is not broke. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. His resources are endless and we shouldn't be pressured into giving and no church should pressure people into giving. So we'll continue on here, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As, as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. So, we are to give generously, right? The farmer who only plants a little is only going to reap a little. But the farmer who plants generously is going to reap generously. And that when we do this, when we give willingly, we give God back what is already his. What does he promise us? Well, he promises us right here. God will generously provide all you need. He will generously provide all you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over. And why will we have plenty left over? So we can share with others. We continue, continue to be generous. Because as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor, right? We are to give generously to the poor. And not this thought in the back of our minds of why we shouldn't or how we can't afford it or any of that, right? We're to do it willingly and generously. And that when we do this, your good deeds will be remembered forever. So we'll continue on here in verse 10. For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then the bread to eat. So remember, it's all God's. Everything we have is God's. The seed, the bread, all of it. Our finances, our home, our cars, whatever we have, it's all his. None of it's ours. But he lets us use it. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. So he'll provide and he'll increase your resources. So why will he do that? So that you can be even more generous. And there's a reason for all of this. So we'll continue on in verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So what happens when when we give to our church and our church supports another church in need, what happens? They will generously, we are being generous. Their needs will be met, their, their monetary needs here on earth. But ultimately, they will express their thanks to God. They will give God the glory, right? God will provide that increase for them. And he'll do it through us. God doesn't need us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. His resources are endless. But he chooses to work through us. Okay? And this is an absolute opportunity for him to grow your faith. We're going to go through trials. We've been over that. Tough times. And we have this opportunity to, are we going to believe the enemy's lies? Or are we going to believe God and his word? Right? And these are opportunities for us to grow our faith. Well, this is another one, an opportunity for us to grow our faith when we choose to give our finances to God that we trust in him. So, let's, we'll finish on this chapter um, in verse 13. 
So as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Jesus Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affections because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. And what gift is he talking about there? The gift of Jesus. The good news. That gift is too wonderful for words. Paul says he can't describe it in words. The work that Jesus has done for each one of us. His sacrifice on the cross. His willingness to sacrifice himself on the cross so that each and every one of our sins can be forgiven. Can be removed from our record. Never brought up again, right? He paid the penalty that we couldn't pay. He loved us that much. That's the ultimate gift, right? The ultimate sacrifice, that is that example of the agape love, that self-sacrificing love. He didn't want to. We read through the Bible in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked God, is there any way this could be taken? Any other way these people can be saved? And the answer was no. The only way to the Father is through the Son. The only way to heaven is us believing in Jesus. Because of that gift because of the work that he does in our lives, we should be generous. We were taught here a few years ago that when we go out to eat, you know, we should pray before we eat, and a lot of people will see that. But then when we get done and it comes time to tip our waiter or waitress, which should be the most generous tip they get all day long, that they should associate God with generosity, right? They would give thanks to God. They saw you praying before you ate your meal. You gave them a very generous tip. And now they're going to, in turn, give thanks to God. They're going to understand that that came from God, not from us. Right? Does that make sense? So we're to be generous. But we're also not to give reluctantly or grudgingly. So if you don't want to give, that's a heart issue. God has done so much for you. Why wouldn't you? So don't it's not that you shouldn't. You should give, but you should do it with a willing heart. And even if it's grudgingly at first, I would still give and see if God doesn't do a work in your heart. I think I can tell you from our personal experience that when we decided to give to the church, our first thought was, one, we can't afford it. But we did. And that God has done exactly what his word says, that he's provided for all of our needs generously. I think we could say that and that he continues to provide an increase, and that we are supposed to be even more generous. So I think for us, we found that that is absolutely true. Would you agree with that? Are you asking me a question? Yeah, I'm asking you. Yes. Yes. So, like I said, if I was about to turn 14 and work at McDonald's, I would be thinking about this. If I was 28 and already working, I would definitely be thinking about this. And if I was 11 and I was thinking about doing some babysitting jobs when I turned 12, I would be thinking about this. And that if you can learn this concept early on in life, there's lots of ways that God can use that, right? Mostly he's going to use it to strengthen your faith because it's going to take faith because the enemy is going to come against this. You can't afford this. Oh, you're going to lose your house, your car. You're not going to be able to afford to eat if you, if you give, right? But we have a choice. We can believe the lies of the enemy or we can believe the promises of God, and the promises that we read about here. So to, to finish off this talk on giving and then go back to finish up Romans 15, we're going to look and see what does God himself say about giving. And the first place we're going to look at that is in Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 3. So, Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 3, this is the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are the sons of Adam and Eve, right? And we won't go into the whole story, but we'll go through a few verses of the story. So Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 3. When it was time for the harvest, 
Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs of his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So he's warning Cain, right? So Abel gave the first fruits, the best of his flock, and Cain just gave some of his grain, right? And it doesn't matter that it was animals or grain, it was what they had. And they were supposed to give the best, the first fruits. So what that means, what I take that to mean is when I get paid, whatever God has put on my heart to give, I'm going to give that right away. I'm not going to wait till the end of the month if I get paid once a month. I'm not going to wait till the end of the month. As soon as I get paid, I should give to God the first fruits, the best of what I have, right? That's the example that I, I read here. And that when I just give my leftovers, that I, I need to be careful because that's what Cain did and God warns him. Sin is crouching at your door and it's eager, eager to control you. So what does sin do? Sin wants to control us, right? But God tells Cain but you must subdue it and be its master. So it doesn't have to have control over us. We can allow it to, but that's not what God intended. That's not how he planned it. God's plan is that we would subdue it and that we would not be controlled by sin, right? And one of the ways we can be controlled by sin is by not having faith in God, not trusting in God, not believing him at his word. So another place that we're going to go to look and see what did God himself say. So that was God speaking to Cain and Abel about giving. He obviously beforehand made it clear to them how they were to give. that They were to give their first fruits. And now we'll read Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. So Matthew chapter 6, this is Jesus himself speaking. So this is God speaking, explaining to us um, about giving. So Matthew chapter 6, starting here in verse 1. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. So Jesus is telling us right here that when we give to someone in need, when we give generously, we're to do it quietly, we're to do it privately. And that our Father in Heaven will reward us. But if we do it publicly and we make this big scene about it to get attention from others, that's all the reward we'll ever get, is that little bit of attention. And that attention is worthless. It's here today and gone tomorrow, right? So Jesus is telling us that we're to do it privately. We're not to make a big deal about it. The hypocrites want attention from others. And that's the only reward they'll ever get. So continuing on here, Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. So don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't even let yourself know what's going on, right? Don't draw attention to yourself and do it very privately. And when you you give, and you give privately, God will reward you, right? Let's skip down to verse 19. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. 
Don't store up your treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So I don't know if you've heard this saying, but you can't take it with you, right? Whatever you have here on earth, you can't take it with you. There is no U-Haul behind the hurts going to the funeral. You know taking it with you. But here God makes it very clear, you can send it on ahead, right? So you can store up your treasures in heaven, okay? So when we give, and we give quietly, we give privately, and only God knows we're storing up our treasures in heaven. And that's what Jesus is telling us. Don't store up your treasures and build some kingdom here on earth of how much you've acquired or, or how much you have because moth will come and eat your clothing, rust will eat your cars, and, and, and everything else will deteriorate. But store up your treasures in heaven. Be generous. Give what God's put on your heart. Do it privately and quietly. And God will, God will reward you in heaven, right? Does that make sense? So we're to give quietly, privately, and let God reward us. We don't want our praise from men. So then Jesus continues on here in verse 22. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Now, I find this very interesting that these two verses are in the middle of, of Jesus talking about giving. And I think it's important that he's explained in the previous verse that wherever your treasures are, that's where your heart's desire is also. You've heard it said, if you want to know where your heart's desire is, look at your checkbook. Where do you spend the majority of your money, right? Is it on sinful things? Well, then there's a problem. And if you think that those sinful things are actually light, how bad that is that they are darkness. How deep that darkness is in your life. So be careful of what you're, what you're spending your time, what you're spending your talents, and what you're spending your treasure in. Because if that, what you're spending it in is darkness and you think it's light, how deep that darkness is in your life. And that's a, a problem. And you can look and do an evaluation of your life. David did this. Show me the, the sin in my life, Lord, right? You can pray that prayer and God will show you. And then it's up to you to ask for forgiveness for that sin, to repent and to live a life away from that sin. So continuing on here, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So again, we found it clear in Genesis that that love for possessions that Cain had, that he didn't want to give the best of what he had because he loved money more. You can't serve God and money. That's what God is saying. And he makes that... Jesus makes that very clear right here. You can't serve two masters. That you'll be a, If you try to serve God and serve money, it won't work, right? So, I find it very interesting that God, Jesus goes through and talks about that. And then the very next verse is where he goes into the topic of worry. So how often are our worries surrounded by financial matters. And he's just got done telling us that we can't serve both God and money. He's made it clear on how we're to give, we're to give privately. Paul made it clear in Second Corinthians that we're to give generously, but with a willing heart and whatever God has put on our heart to give is what we're to give, right? There's no set prescription, no set thing. We shouldn't be pressured into giving. And even with that, I always... Sometimes I have a hard time. We go to Christian concerts and there's this big pressure to give to, um, to these poor kids, to support a poor kid. And I always wondered about that. 
yes, the, there's a need for a, a financial support there, but there's also that need for a connection. And you have this emotional response where, yes, I want to support this child and, and I'm going to be their pen pal and I'm going to write to them and encourage them in the Lord. But then life gets in the way and we get busy and, and we don't actually follow through with that. We may support them financially, but we didn't support them spiritually, right? And how you're pressured into giving to that. And I've always wondered if that was from God or not. Well, yes, it's good to give to the poor and, and to do those things. But when there's this pressure, when they tell this very sad story about this child and it gives you this emotional response to, to give, is there a pressure there? So I've always struggled with that. But anyways, back to, back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We go right from God explained to us to, to give quietly, to, that we can't serve two masters. And the very next verse, this is what he tells us. That is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And the answer to that is no. All your worries cannot add a single moment to your life. I find it very, very interesting that he goes right from financial giving, not serving two masters, right into worry. So he's making it very clear to us. Do not worry. He will provide for us. We read that in Corinthians. That when we choose to, to obey him, to give to him, that he will provide for all of our needs generously. And I go back and I think, I can't think of anything we've ever been in need for. There's things that maybe we want, but I don't know in need of, right? He's always provided for all of our needs when we chose to, to obey him in this area of our lives. So, and that our worries cannot add a single moment to your life. In fact, our worries can do the opposite. They can worry and stress can add, have adverse health effects on your life. Stress can negatively affect your heart, can bring on heart conditions, can bring on high blood pressure, can bring on anxiety, can bring on other disorders that have a very negative health effect on our lives and ultimately can end our lives prematurely, right? So worry can't add a single moment to our lives, but it can take away moments from our lives. So with all that, we're going to go back and we'll finish Romans 15 here. So back to Romans chapter 15, verse 29. So Romans 15, verse 29. And I am sure that when I come... Christ will richly bless our time together. So this is Paul talking about visiting the church in Rome. He's had this longing desire to visit the church in Rome. And that when he comes, he's saying that Jesus is going to richly bless their time together. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is asking for them to pray. Paul is, Paul is coming to what seems to be the end of his life, that there's many out there that want to kill him. He says that the struggles for that are every day. Every day someone wants to kill him, it seems like. And he's asking for them to pray to God for Paul. Pray for strength, pray for endurance, pray for his safety, right? And he's asking them to do this because they love Paul, not because they're forced to, because they love Paul, and they can love Paul because of the work the Holy Spirit has done in their lives. We can love others because of the work that Jesus has done in our lives, the work the Holy Spirit has done in our lives. We can see Jesus' example of what love is, and we can choose to love others that same way. I can choose to love my wife that same way. We can choose to love our spouses that same way. We can choose to love our children that same way. Our children can choose to love their parents that same way way. It is a choice, not a feeling. And oftentimes we're tempted to be led by our feelings, but we're not to be led by our feelings. We're to be led by our faith in Jesus Christ, right? Our faith in God. That's what's to guide us through this life. 
right? So we'll continue on here. Romans chapter 15, verse 31. I pray that I will be rescued from those in Judea who refuse to obey God. Pray also that the believers there will be willing to accept the donation I am taking to Jerusalem. Then, by the will of God, I will be able to come to you with a joyful heart, and we will be an encouragement to each other. And now may God give us his peace. Be with you all. Amen. So Paul is is wanting to be an encouragement to them, but also wanting to be encouraged by them, right? We've been over this, that iron sharpens iron as the countenance of one friend sharpens another. That we're to encourage each other in good works and good deeds. That we're to encourage each other in our faith. Encourage each other to walk closer with God. To pray with each other when we're struggling. To pray with each other when we're going through tough times. To pray for each other, right? To sacrifice our own time. To deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow Jesus. To be willing to give not just of our treasure, of our finances, but of our talents and of our time for the work of God, right? To come alongside others, to encourage others, to be prayerful for others, to give our time in prayer, praying for others, to give our time serving the church and the talents God has given us to serve others, right? The life that we have is not about us. It's about serving God first and then serving others. What are the two commandments that Jesus gave us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. So we love God with everything we are. We love our neighbor. And what's that love? That's that agape, self-sacrificing love. That's serving God, sacrificing of our own time, talents, and treasures for God. Sacrificing of our own time, talents, and treasures for others around us. Right? And that's where we end today. Is there any questions? You better have a question. Oh, I do. Um, Good. So my question is, why do you feel pressured into doing... Why does that make you feel pressured? What, why does what make you feel pressured? The, the handing out and, like, saving people. Are you talking about like churches that pass a collection plate that goes down the row and and then everybody can see if somebody puts something else in there? Yeah. I think there's some pressure there, and I think that that is not biblical. So, Why do you think there's pressure there? Because you can see what your neighbor's getting. Although they didn't put anything in the plate, they they must not have given this week. And, but you don't know the whole story, and and there's a pressure that people. People already have enough pressure in their lives. There's already enough temptation in their lives that I'm not good enough, right? I can't be forgiven for what I've done. God truly doesn't love me. There's no one that can love me after all I've done. I don't give enough. I don't do enough. I don't read enough. I don't pray enough. There's all these things in life already. And I just think that that adds to it, right? I think that's another way that the enemy can get inside of our heads, and we have these spiritual attacks in our thought lives. And I think that being pressured to give is one of them. Especially when we're told very clearly that we're not to be pressured to give. We're not to give because we feel pressure. We're to give because we want to. And we're to give whatever God has put on our hearts. Whether that's lot or little, God is the one that will guide us when we're willing to walk with him. So, and that when we give, he gives us this promise that he'll provide for us, right? Yeah. Do you have any other questions? No. That was it? And then when it comes to the, like we go to concerts and there's this Compassion International that comes out and they they always come out, you know, you're in a concert and it's an emotional feeling anyways, right? There's emotions that get stirred up by music and song and praise and worship and then this person comes out and it gives this very heart-wrenching story of their lives and, and how this organization was able to save them, which I think is great. But when you do that and then you go around and you collect, you, you're collecting donations, it's kind of the same thing. I, I have a hard time with that. I think you're pressuring people into giving and that's not God's desire. 
God's not broke. And if God wants that organization to continue on to do his work, he'll stir up people's hearts to support that. And that we don't have to stir up people's hearts to support it ourselves. It doesn't have to be a man-made thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's... And I gotta go as far as say that that's insane. Understood. No, I'm. But I, I, I agree with you. I'm just saying that's a way for them to be able to support that particular. Yeah. Yeah, I think they could do it. I think they could do it in different ways. I think you don't have to get up with the heart, you know, wrenching story of this person's life. They they come out and and talk through that. You could just say this is an organization and you can tell what the organization does and, and there'll be a booth outside in the hall and if you want to support that organization come support us that's what we do yeah and i think it it could that would be more in line biblically you're not pressuring people or trying to provoke an emotional response i don't think that's what they're meaning to do though yeah i don't know that's between them and god Any other questions? I agree. You laugh at me. No, I'm not laughing at you. I, I think it's a good organization. I'm just, yeah. Absolutely it is. And they're doing a lot of good works. Dad, mommy laughed at me. I did not. All of my comment is, and I'm guilty, just, I have it in my notes and my Bible, is worry will always reduce your ability to trust in God. And I do it constantly. It's a constant worry. I worry about my kids, I worry about finances, I worry about all that kind of crazy stuff. That's my note. Just remember that. (coughs) Dear Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for this time to come together to worship you, to learn more about you. I ask you would strengthen each one of our faiths in you. You would encourage us this week to be a light and a witness to you. In the words we speak, in our actions, and how we treat others, in our generosity, in all that we do, help it to be to honor you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. I ask that you would watch over all of those that are in need of healing, that you would guide doctors in their treatment plans. I ask you to do this for my mom, that you would do this for Kathy, that you would do this for Bonnie, that you would do this for Christina, that you would just guide the doctors in all those treatment plans. I ask that you would bring healing to Matt and Joey's knees, um, that you would Continue to watch over the, the coffee family. That you would give them patience, peace, wisdom, forgiveness. I ask you to watch over Pam and Scott. That you bring healing and comfort to them. That you would give each one of us the right words to speak. That you would watch over all those going through the PTSD, MDR counseling. You would give them the endurance to continue through that. To, to, to go through that to the end. That you would watch over Ming. That you would guide him. This week, you would watch over the sheriff's department. You would protect them physically, the police department, protect them physically, but also protect them all spiritually. Protect their families, Lord, with all that they go through. I ask you would continue to guide us to a, a church that we can support in South Sudan or Uganda or wherever that is that we come alongside. It's in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. We pray for all these things. Amen. Amen.